Chapter thirty one, section three of Supplements to the Third Book from the World as Will and Idea, Volume three, by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter thirty one On Genius, section three the course of thought of the intellect which is detached from its mother soil the will and only returns to it periodically will soon show itself entirely different from that of the normal intellect still cleaving to its stem for this reason and also on account of the dissimilarity of the pace the former is not adapted for thinking in common that is for conversation with the others they will have as little pleasure in him and his oppressive superiority as he will in them they will therefore feel more comfortable with their equals and he will prefer the entertainment of his equals although as a rule this is only possible through the works they have left behind them therefore chamfort says very rightly il y a peu de vices qui empêchent un homme d'avoir beaucoup d'amis autant que pouvant le faire de trop grandes qualités the happiest lot that can fall to the genius is release from action which is not his element and leisure for production from all this it results that although genius may highly bless him who is gifted with it in the hours in which abandoned to it he revels unhindered in its delight yet it is by no means fitted to procure for him a happy course of life rather the contrary this is also confirmed by the experience recorded in biographies besides this there is also an external incongruity for the genius in his efforts and achievements themselves is for the most part in contradiction and conflict with his age mere men of talent come always at the right time for as they are roused by the spirit of their age and called forth by its needs they are also capable only of satisfying these they therefore go hand in hand with the advancing culture of their contemporaries or with the gradual progress of a special science for this they reap reward and approval but to the next generation their works are no longer enjoyable they must be replaced by others which again are not permanent the genius on the contrary comes into his age like a comet into the paths of the planets to whose well-regulated and comprehensible order its entirely eccentric course is foreign accordingly he cannot go hand in hand with the existing regular progress of the culture of the age but flings his works far out on to the way in front as the dying emperor flung his spear among the enemy upon which time has first to overtake them his relation to the culminating men of talent of his time might be expressed in the words of the evangelist o kairas o emas upo parestin o de kairas o umeteras pantote estin etoimas john seven six the man of talent can achieve what is beyond the power of achievement of other men but not what is beyond their power of apprehension therefore he at once finds those who prize him but the achievement of the man of genius on the contrary transcends not only the power of achievement but also the power of apprehension of others therefore they do not become directly conscious of him 
the man of talent is like the marksman who hits a mark the others cannot hit the man of genius is like the marksman who hits a mark they cannot even see to therefore they only get news of him indirectly and thus late and even this they only accept upon trust and faith accordingly goethe says in one of his letters imitation is inborn in us what to imitate is not easily recognized rarely is what is excellent found still more rarely is it prized and chamfort says il en est de la valeur des hommes comme de celle des diamants qui a une certaine mesure de grosseur de pureté de perfection ont un préfixe et marqué mais qui par delà cette mesure restons sans prix et ne trouvons point d'acheture and bacon of verulam has also expressed it infimarum virtutum apud vulgus laus est mediarum admiratio supremarum sensus nullus indeed one might perhaps reply apud vulgus but i must then come to his assistance with machiavelli's assurance nel mondo non è se non vulgo as also tilo über den rum remarks that to the vulgar herd there generally belongs one more than each of us believes it is a consequence of this late recognition of the works of the man of genius that they are rarely enjoyed by their contemporaries and accordingly in the freshness of colour which synchronism and presence imparts but like figs and dates much more in a dry than in a fresh state if finally we consider genius from the somatic side we find it conditioned by several anatomical and physiological qualities which individually are seldom present in perfection and still more seldom perfect together but which are yet all indispensably required so that this explains why genius only appears as a perfectly isolated and almost portentous exception the fundamental condition is an abnormal predominance of sensibility over irritability and reproductive power and what makes the matter more difficult this must take place in a male body women may have great talent but no genius for they always remain subjective similarly the cerebral system must be perfectly separated from the ganglion system by complete isolation so that it stands in complete opposition to the latter and thus the brain pursues its parasitic life on the organism in a very decided isolated powerful and independent manner certainly it will thereby very easily affect the rest of the organism injuriously and through its heightened life and ceaseless activity wear it out prematurely unless it is itself possessed of energetic vital force and a good constitution thus the latter belong to the conditions of genius indeed even a good stomach is a condition on account of the special and close agreement of this part with the brain but chiefly the brain must be of unusual development and magnitude especially broad and high on the other hand its depth will be inferior and the cerebrum will abnormally preponderate in proportion to the cerebellum without doubt much depends upon the configuration of the brain as a whole and in its parts but our knowledge is not yet sufficient to determine this accurately although we easily recognize the form of skull that indicates a noble and lofty intelligence 
the texture of the mass of the brain must be of extreme fineness and perfection and consist of the purest most concentrated tenderest and most excitable nerve substance certainly the quantitative proportion of the white to the grey matter has a decided influence which however we are also unable as yet to specify however the report of the post-mortem on the body of byron shows that in his case the white matter was in unusually large proportion to the grey and also that his brain weighed six pounds cuvier's brain weighed five pounds the normal weight is three pounds in contrast to the superior size of the brain the spinal cord and nerves must be unusually thin a beautifully arched high and broad skull of thin bone must protect the brain without in any way cramping it this whole quality of the brain and nervous system is the inheritance from the mother to which we shall return in the following book but it is quite insufficient to produce the phenomenon of genius if the inheritance from the father is not added a lively passionate temperament which exhibits itself somatically as unusual energy of the heart and consequently of the circulation of the blood especially towards the head for in the first place that turgescence peculiar to the brain on account of which it presses against its walls is increased by this therefore it forces itself out of any opening in these which has been occasioned by some injury and secondly from the requisite strength of the heart the brain receives that internal movement different from its constant rising and sinking at every breath which consists in a shaking of its whole mass at every pulsation of the four cerebral arteries and the energy of which must correspond to the here increased quantity of the brain as this movement in general is an indispensable condition of its activity to this therefore small stature and especially a short neck is favourable because by the shorter path the blood reaches the brain with more energy and on this account great minds have seldom large bodies yet that shortness of the distance is not indispensable for example goethe was of more than middle height if however the whole condition connected with the circulation of the blood and therefore coming from the father is wanting the good quality of the brain coming from the mother will at most produce a man of talent a fine understanding which the phlegmatic temperament thus introduced supports but a phlegmatic genius is impossible this condition coming from the father explains many faults of temperament described above but on the other hand if this condition exists without the former thus with an ordinarily or even badly constructed brain it gives vivacity without mind heat without light hot-headed persons men of insupportable restlessness and petulance that of two brothers only one has genius and that one generally the elder as for example in kant's case is primarily to be explained from the fact that the father was at the age of strength and passion only when he was begotten although also the other condition originating with the mother may be spoiled by unfavourable circumstances i have further to add here a special remark on the childlike character of the genius that is on a certain resemblance which exists between genius and the age of childhood in childhood as in the case of genius the cerebral and nervous system decidedly preponderates for its development hurries far in advance of that of the rest of the organism 
so that already at the seventh year the brain has attained its full extension and mass therefore bichat says dans l'enfance le système nerveux comparé au musculaire est proportionnellement plus considérable que dans tous les âges suivants tandis que par la suite la plupart des autres systèmes prédominants sur celui-ci on sait que pour bien voir le neuf en choisit toujours les enfants de la vie et de l'amour article eight section six on the other hand the development of the genital system begins latest and irritability reproduction and genital function are in full force only at the age of manhood and then as a rule they predominate over the brain function hence it is explicable that children in general are so sensible reasonable desirous of information and teachable nay on the whole are more disposed and fitted for all theoretical occupation than grown-up people they have in consequence of that course of development more intellect than will that is than inclinations desire and passion for intellect and brain are one and so also is the genital system one with the most vehement of all desires therefore i have called the latter the focus of the will just because the fearful activity of this system still slumbers while that of the brain has already full play childhood is the time of innocence and happiness the paradise of life the lost eden on which we look longingly back through the whole remaining course of our life but the basis of that happiness is that in childhood our whole existence lies much more in knowing than in willing a condition which is also supported from without by the novelty of all objects hence in the morning sunshine of life the world lies before us so fresh so magically gleaming so attractive the small desires the weak inclinations and trifling cares of childhood are only a weak counterpoise to that predominance of intellectual activity the innocent and clear glance of children at which we revive ourselves and which sometimes in particular cases reaches the sublime contemplative expression with which raphael has glorified his cherubs is to be explained from what has been said accordingly the mental powers develop much earlier than the needs they are destined to serve and here as everywhere nature proceeds very designedly for in this time of predominating intelligence the man collects a great store of knowledge for future wants which at the time are foreign to him therefore his intellect now unceasingly active eagerly apprehends all phenomena broods over them and stores them up carefully for the coming time like the bees who gather a great deal more honey than they can consume in anticipation of future need certainly what a man acquires of insight and knowledge up to the age of puberty is taken as a whole more than all that he afterwards learns however learned he may become for it is the foundation of all human knowledge up till the same time plasticity predominates in the child's body and later by a metastasis its forces throw themselves into the system of generation and thus with puberty the sexual passion appears and now little by little the will gains the upper hand then childhood which is prevailingly theoretical and desirous of learning is followed by the restless now stormy now melancholy period of youth 
which afterwards passes into the vigorous and earnest age of manhood just because that impulse pregnant with evil is wanting in the child is its volition so adapted and subordinated to knowledge whence arises that character of innocence intelligence and reasonableness which is peculiar to the age of childhood on what then the likeness between childhood and genius depends i scarcely need to express further upon the surplus of the powers of knowledge over the needs of the will and the predominance of the purely intellectual activity which springs from this really every child is to a certain extent a genius and the genius is to a certain extent a child the relationship of the two shows itself primarily in the naivete and sublime simplicity which is characteristic of true genius and besides this it appears in several traits so that a certain childishness certainly belongs to the character of the genius in Riemer's Mitteilungen über Goethe, volume one, page one eighty four, it is related that Herder and others found fault with Goethe, saying he was always a big child. Certainly they were right in what they said, but they were not right in finding fault with it. It has also been said of Mozart that all his life he remained a child. Nissen's biography of Mozart, page two and five twenty nine. Schlichtegrohl's Necrology for seventeen ninety one volume two page one o nine says of him in his art he early became a man but in all other relations he always remained a child every genius is even for this reason a big child he looks out into the world as into something strange a play and therefore with purely objective interest accordingly he has just as little as the child that dull gravity of ordinary men who since they are capable only of subjective interests always sees in things mere motives for their action whoever does not to a certain extent remain all his life a big child but becomes a grave sober thoroughly composed and reasonable man may be a very useful and capable citizen of this world but never a genius in fact the genius is so because that predominance of the sensible system and of intellectual activity which is natural to childhood maintains itself in him in an abnormal manner through his whole life thus here becomes perennial a trace of this certainly shows itself in many ordinary men up to the period of their youth therefore for example in many students a purely intellectual tendency and an eccentricity suggestive of genius is unmistakable but nature returns to her track they assume the chrysalis form and reappear at the age of manhood as incarnate philistines at whom we are startled when we meet them again in later years upon all this that has been expounded here depends goethe's beautiful remark children do not perform what they promise young people very seldom and if they do keep their word the world does not keep its word with them Schaften, part one chapter ten the world which afterwards bestows the crowns which it holds aloft for merit on those who are the tools of its low aims or know how to deceive it in accordance with what has been said as there is a mere beauty of youth which almost every one at some time possesses beauté du diable so there is a mere intellectuality of youth a certain mental nature disposed and adapted for apprehending understanding and learning which every one has in childhood and some have still in youth but which is afterwards lost just like that beauty 
only in the case of a very few the chosen the one like the other lasts through the whole life so that even in old age a trace of it still remains visible these are the truly beautiful and the men of true genius the predominance of the cerebral nervous system and of intelligence in childhood which is here under consideration together with the decline of it in riper age receives important illustration and confirmation from the fact that in the species of animals which stands nearest to man the apes the same relation is found in a striking degree it has by degrees become certain that the highly intelligent orangutan is a young pongo which when it has grown up loses the remarkable human look of its countenance and also its astonishing intelligence because the lower and brutal part of its face increases in size the forehead thereby recedes large cristae muscular developments give the skull a brutish form the activity of the nervous system sinks and in its place extraordinary muscular strength develops which as it is sufficient for its preservation makes the great intelligence now superfluous especially important is what frederic cuvier has said in this reference and Flourens has illustrated in a review of the histoire naturelle of the former which appeared in the september number of the journal des savants of eighteen thirty nine and was also separately printed with some additions under the title resume analytique des observations de frédéric cuvier sur l'instinct et l'intelligence des animaux florent eighteen forty one it is there said page fifty l'intelligence de orangutan cette intelligence si développée et développée de si bonheur décroît avec l'âge l'orangutan lorsqu'il est jeune nous est-on par sa pénétration par sa ruse par son adresse l'orangutan devenu adulte n'est plus qu'un animal grossier brutal intraitable est-il en et du tout les singes comme de l'orangutan dans tout l'intelligence décroît à mesure que les forces s'accroissent l'animal qui a le plus d'intelligence n'a tout cette intelligence que dans le jeune âge further page eighty seven les singes de tous les genres offrant ce rapport inverse de l'âge et de l'intelligence ainsi par exemple l'entelle espèce du guénon de ce genre de semnopithex est l'un des singes vénérés dans la religion des brahms à dont le jeune âge le front large le museau peut saillant le crâne élève arrondi etc avec l'âge le front disparaît recule le museau proémine et le moral ne change pas moins que le physique l'apathie la violence la besoin de solitude remplaçant la pénétration la docilité la confiance ces différences sont si grandes dit m frédéric cuvier que dans l'habitude où nous sommes de juger des actions des animaux par les nôtres nous prendrions 
le jeune animal pour un individu de l'âge ou toute la qualité morale de l'espèce sont acquises et l'entel adulte pour un individu qui n'aurait encore que ses forces physiques mais la nature non agit non agit pas ainsi avec ces animaux qui ne doivent pas sortir de la sphère étroite qui leur est fixée et à qui il suffit en quelque sorte de pouvoir veiller à leur conservation pour cela l'intelligence était nécessaire quand la force n'existait pas et quand celle-ci est acquise toute autre puissance perd de son utilité en page 118 la conservation des espèces ne repose pas moins sur les qualités intellectuelles des animaux que sur les qualités organiques this last confirms my principle that the intellect like the claws and teeth is nothing else than a weapon in the service of the will End of chapter thirty one recording by expatriate in bangor maine